Mommy? Are you my mommy? Go to your room. I'm really glad that worked. Those would have been terrible last words. Welcome to Hoover Interview. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. I'm Colin. I'm Kelsey. And today we're going to be discussing the Doctor Dances. Dun dun dun. <laughs> All right, exciting conclusion to last week's episode, The Empty Child. It was indeed. And I would have to say, in this episode, the title of it is quite apt because the Doctor actually gets to dance. He's not the only one. I mean, all, all the major players here are dancing. It's, uh, it's dancing time. Um, Jamie and Nancy did not dance, Colin. <laughs> That's true, nor did Dr. Constantine, who's the real dark horse of, of this series. Yeah, that's Oh my god, Dr. Constantine had such a brilliant line in this, too. The lady's all like, I had one leg when I went into the hospital, and now I have two. Well, there is a war on. Are you sure you... Didn't miscount. What a noble character, even in that moment, you know, he's guarding, like, the proper lies of the situation after taking effort to save anybody, not, like, taking uh, onus on himself to have cured this woman's amputee. <laughs> Let's back up to the beginning before we get to the end, and I w- wanted to say that the resolution of the previous episode I thought was quite remarkable, because it was one of those instances where you didn't know, I didn't know where the doctor's going to take this. And then he comes in with go to your room, which seems to be very appropriate, but at the same time, just kind of ludicrous at the same time. Yeah. And we saw Nancy essentially used a similar technique with, um, singing a lullaby to the one, uh, gas mask guy. Cause you know, basically they both won the realm of treating them like children, five-year-old kids. Yeah, exactly. Which is more or less what they were. Right. You know? Yeah. Maybe even less so psychologically. Cause it seems like they, you know, really only had a one-track mind, you know, yeah. mommy, are you my mommy? I mean, his head was busted, so, <laughs> I mean. True, true. <laughs> Although it was interesting that he said a lot more this episode. He said a lot more than just, are you my mommy? He went with that, I'm here, I'm here, can you see me? Yeah, there was you a know, little like, more. Yeah, like, like there was more going on there. And I think Nancy really brings it out in him. What I thought was interesting about this episode is that you get to see a little more of the inner workings of Nancy. And you you don't necessarily get to get her full story, so a lot of it is certainly left on the table. But, you know, while in the first episode, like, Nancy's just an all-star, and I still want to say that's true. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit more like how much of this is on her kind of a situation. You know, how much is... She'd been running away from this whole thing that maybe could have solved by her just, 
being kind a good kid's mom. Right. <laughs> being a good mummy. Did you say left on the table because she literally had to leave the Thanksgiving meal on the table? I will say that. It was not Thanksgiving. They were in England. Oh, that's true. They were just having a meal. It was pretty much a Thanksgiving meal, though. <laughs> I mean, it certainly looked like it. You know, air raid night. Thanks oh, to the, yeah. the relationship with the husband and the butler, or butcher. butcher. Yeah, that was quite a scene. Oh, I mean, man. There was a lot of that going on this episode. They have Jack, like, running around, yeah. flirting with everyone. But that was yeah. just so, so, actually, in, in in the reboot of Doctor Who, there it is kind of a running joke of, like, unnecessary gay subplots, is how it's described on the internet, where they do throw a lot of uh, stuff like that. Now, here, in this one, it all kind of flowed and made sense, but there are some other episodes where characters who are, like, not very involved in the plot will just be like, I'm gay. And you're like, I didn't need to know that one way or the other. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's it's more that they just kind of throw these little one-liners in that hint at it or say outright that they are. So, I mean, yeah, obviously they don't go around saying, I'm gay, hi. It's not quite that bad. Yeah, it's but actually still- on the same point, um, I had a roommate a few years ago who was gay and she like, started to really get into Doctor Who mainly because she was like, oh my god, this is just such a wonderful thing for the gay community, just showing, you know, normal people who happen to be gay frequently in the show. Well, and Captain Jack is a swashbuckling hero type in in this particular story, or at least he acts like one. And he just, he kind of shines as someone who doesn't really care who he's with. It's just, I'm just going to be myself. And yeah, and, and it's even very accepted. You know, seducing two executioners—that's just him being in. Exactly. I mean, even the doctor is making some like. I hope you're as big on the inside as, <laughs> as the TARDIS, too, Captain Jack. I mean, my God. I don't yeah, think, I don't think that that's what that was meant. <laughs> Maybe not, but I did feel like the doctor was about to dance with Captain Jack. There, it's like I know Jack wants to dance, but who does he want to dance with? Oh, no one. <laughs> Why don't you just watch? Um, I really like the um, the interplay between the Doctor and Rose and Jack when they're trying to escape too with the with the square gun where they have to they take away a square piece and then uh, of course you've got um, uh, Jack saying all the things that his cool little sonic device can do what do you got oh I've got a sonic says the Doctor Uh, sonic what. And finally, it comes out. It's a screwdriver. <laughs> so Jack has to be like, "What?" Who <laughs> looks at a screwdriver and says, "Ooh, this could be a little more Sonic." Exactly. Anybody that, who has some time on their hands needs to put up a lot of shelves, right? This this episode really has a great balance between the humor and the horror of what's going on. And I mean, we do go back to the horror of the first episode. Yeah, and, and that really set it up for it. I mean, let's let's be real. This is probably one of the creepiest characters that have come out of the Doctor Who. Universe, especially, I mean, definitely the creepiest of this season so far, right? I mean, little, I don't know, those baby headed things are pretty creepy. <laughs> <laughs> the but these were pretty much baby headed things, too, crying for their mommies, True. Like, you know, weird, creepy masks. There's a theme. Nazi Germany, and yeah, the writers are afraid of children. <laughs> Gas masks went through the roof as to, as to Halloween costumes the year that this came out, and to say. That was probably... It's definitely creepy to see a little kid in a gas mask. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, really just, like, how it ended up happening with the nanogenes was also kind of brilliant. I mean, it made sense because you're kind of looking at it. 
in the first episode, you know, most of this one, you're like, how is this going to get concluded? How would this possibly make sense? Well, what I didn't understand is why didn't they just unleash Captain Jack's nanobots to go cure everyone? Well, it seemed like there were fewer of them. They were at least implied. And plus, there's... Maybe a battle of the nanobots. Yeah, Yeah. there's no real indication that Jax would override the other ones. In fact, a battlefield ambulance nanobot would probably override other ones, I would assume. But but it seems like, you know, it could be very easily missed what actually is happening in this episode and why it is. Honestly, it's just a very quick conversation that kind of reveals it's the nanobots who have, have taken over kind of a mold of a frightened child as the human race and tried to heal everybody to that kind of standard. Although like, I, I actually wasn't paying attention. It washed over me. I had to show me, like, wait, what? And I, I, but I, well, do have to say, like, any other time the nanobots were curing something, they were, like, glowing yellow, like, light around the people. And then for some reason when they were, like, attacking the people and turning them into the gas mask people, there was no glowing light. Like, I felt like that was a little bit sneaky. And, Wouldn't like, be very convenient for the plot, though, you know? Yeah, but I was like, okay, well then don't make that yellow light happen when it's curing them. Like, that's an easy fix. I guess there may have been a, a slight a, a difference in how it was transferred because they it was through the touch of the individuals already crushed and, and, and so, quote-unquote, killed off. Um, and so maybe that's how they kind of, they didn't want to show, uh, also if they had done the orange glowing thing or the yellow yeah, glowing thing all the time, it, out, it would have been too obvious. I mean, they could have at least thrown like a sentence in there of like, oh yes, if it's transmitted through touch, then. Yeah, that would be nice. The- I mean, also the speed is a little bit different too, because it seems like, you know, it was more or less transmitted kind of like a plague and slowly people would get sick and kind of take Yeah, but then they, they said it got airborne. It became airborne, and then all of a sudden, the whole world's in doom. No, but even yeah. when it was all of a sudden, everybody was. Yeah, you, know, you have like a real person, and it takes like you know a good thirty seconds at least. You know, and there are symptoms before they actually change. But you know, with Rose's hand, it's like, oh, we're more or less healed right now. It just happened. Well, but yeah. that was a so, very small healing, whereas the other one was so hard to restructure. But then it cured all the people from the gas mask people into the real people oh, within, good like, point. two seconds. Right, so I'm thinking it, it may be, if anything, if I want to really give it credence and, and lend the best explanation I can, as to with the concentration of these nanoparticles. Yeah, that's why I was they, they were all throughout the ship, and the doctor knew they were all throughout the ship, just like they're all throughout the atmosphere, and in the world, but when you really summon them and concentrate them, then that's when you see them visibly. And then, you, you know, you know what else it was actually is they pointed out that in Jack's ship, the nanogenes understood what a human was already, so they didn't have to form that calculation. Whereas the other times they were trying to make a massive change without having all the information, probably having to recalculate it each time, whereas when the doctor just reprogrammed their software and threw them out, then they already knew what they were doing. They didn't have to figure it out at all. There's another explanation for the transfer is that when you transfer a virus, a real virus from one person to the next, you're not giving them a whole bunch of concentrated vir- viral nanogenes or whatever you want to call them. You're actually giving them a piece of it, and then they multiply within the person. So my guess is that the touch kind of represents the idea of... So it's like one nanogen, for example. Well, a a couple here and there, but it's not going to be enough for you to see everything. I wasn't thinking that these nanobots would reproduce in people's bodies or anything. I think they would, because it's kind of like a virus. A virus... Well, they're like computers, though. 
Right, but it's still they. They, I they, think, they could be self-replicating. Yeah, I, they, that's what I was thinking because that's the idea of a virus: is that it, it it kind of starts off slow and then builds and builds and builds until it overwhelms the person. But they um. don't need to continuously be there to keep the symptoms going. They could easily just hop from one body to the next and not multiply. I suppose, but I'm guessing that if they, it would make sense that they, that at least something stays within the person so that when it's time to upgrade, they would already be there and they would already. But then why did they have to send out the nanobots again to cure everyone? Because those, those ones had the new software. Yeah. They had the upgrade. So it's not a hive mind then? Possibly not. Yeah, but it wouldn't make sense for it to be. Yeah. Good point. I don't know. They, or have the capacity to be one with the right, you know, inputs from the mothership. Or, or perhaps we've gone into this a little too much and com- <laughs> overcomplicated it slightly. I disagree. I think this is the hardcore philosophy <laughs> that needs to be brought up more on Doctor Who podcasts. We're getting into the weeds here. There's good, good competing theories, but um, good point, you know, good maybe point. we've covered the, the different angles of this. Particular yeah, let's talk about Nancy. Hiding that she was Jamie's mother, which really kind of brings the whole thing together. But, I mean, really, if you think about it, it totally makes sense that she would have done that in that time period. And then the fact that the nanogenes were then able to figure out her DNA being so similar to his that they could, you know, make it work. What's so sad is that she ended up having to tell her own son that that he was his her brother. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I think just as, like... You know, I think some of the really powerful moments from Nancy is what, what we talked, the con- the confrontation with the guy whose house it was, who she was, you know, yeah. eating his dinner with all the other kids. And, and she when she to, got she changed to the up. table. Right, right. She had to deal with that. And also she was so receptive to like, okay, I'm, we're already in a crazy situation. Let me believe what's going to happen. I'm kind of on another level and brought up to another consciousness at this point. But then on top of that, she went back to the kids, too, and ended up being honest with them. But, you know, yeah. I, I think in that same double-sided coin way, you realize that not only is she helping and uh, these kids survive, but she's also endangering them um, in, in a real way, too, that she knows about and has known about for quite some time. She wasn't really being honest about Yeah, definitely. Having to tell those kids probably was heartbreaking for her being oh, a mo- sure. being yeah. the mother of Jamie. I'm sure she felt like those were her kids, like in a very real yeah. way. Yeah. Too. Well, also, it's some explanation for why she was so like savvy from the start and able to take care of these other kids and able to scam the system. Because if she was a you know 15 year old girl with a baby trying to hide it, she probably had been living on the streets before the war even started. Yeah, and, and she had to deal with raising a kid already. And just on the face of it, too, like, we're probably we're coming in on it last episode thinking she was 16, 17, and now we're like, okay, she's 21, 22. That, get, that gives a little extra maturity and wherewithal to her character as well. Yeah, for sure. And also just, like, some of the heartbreaking things. I mean, could you imagine, like, I mean, it's bad enough it being your little brother, but could you imagine being chased by the zombie of your dead son? who's constantly asking for you and is going around hurting people. I mean, like, my God. Yeah, she must have put a lot of that on herself. It's like, you know, I'm I'm putting him up as my brother when he's actually my son, and he keeps coming back asking this question. I'm sure that was a very hard, traumatic thing for her to deal with that whole time. Yeah. 
I just don't get why she wouldn't just, like, have gone to him earlier and it took this long. Like, Well, like, she thought he was dead. I mean, there was no reason for her to believe that. If I was Nancy, if I thought I was touching that little kid, I thought I'd be that little kid another minute or two afterwards. Yeah. I kind of get her motivation there. I just wonder when she found out that he was alive. I mean, or, like, he was the existed in this form because you would think if she was the one that discovered him and he was saying mommy she would have like immediately touched him right but it seems like she knew before it seems like she knew last episode yeah i mean it it, it, it kind of seems like he died and she left and then he got taken by the nanogenes and then later showed back up type of thing I also would like to point out uh, Captain Jack's character in this is that he's transformed from con man to the true hero of the story. Yeah. Because, and this is why the doctor likes him so much, is that he actually is willing to sacrifice himself to right his own wrong. And the whole question, uh, he remembers that he lost two, or if we remember, he lost two years of his memories due to the time agency. So he doesn't know who he is, and, and Jack is trying to figure that out and thinking, oh, my God, I could be someone horrible. Whereas he, after doing this, I think it's quite obvious that he's not really that, off, that bad off here. So or maybe he wasn't that bad off, and then over the two years he became bad, and so then they wiped that so he would be good again. Possibly. Yeah. Who knows? But he earned his companionship with that move. <laughs> well yeah. done, sir. Yes. And the doctor was so confident about it, too. Definitely. <laughs> that he was going to do it. Well, I think it's about that time where we rate our individual rank rating here. So we'll start with Colin. That's me. All right. So this, this was a good episode, and it's rounding out a good two-parter. Um, coming back to it, that first episode did set this up really for success. I think it really set the tone and the vibe. And, you know, we got enough down in the darkness with the first episode that we could really do a full circle and come into the light here, where everybody lives. You know, everybody has kind of a savior point, and it's, it's a true happy ending um, at the end. But, but still, you know, we see the creepiness, we see the horror, we see kind of the conflicted gray areas in some of the characters. And again, strong characters, you know, not just um, Rose and the Doctor or Jack, but also... Uh, Nancy and Dr. Constantine. I, I think this is a really good, fun episode and series all around. Um, and I'm going to give this a solid 9 out of 10. Nice. All right, Kelsey? Um, well, I can see why you guys ranked this a 10 now that I know the full story. Like, I thought that the first episode did a good job of setting things up and giving you... I mean, we were introduced to the nanobots and to Nancy and to, like, Cap- Like, we were introduced to all of the elements that ended up being the answer to this riddle. So I thought that the setup was really good. Um, the characters were good. We got a fun new character companion for the Doctor and Rose. Because, honestly, I think, like I've been saying this whole season, like, this show needed a little bit of more lightness to it throughout and we can see the doctor is starting to become more of like a silly goose in some of the (laughs) episodes but with jack it's kind of like a good like back and forth and adds just like rose isn't funny she's she's good she's a fun companion but she's like come on she's not a funny person so (laughs) it's a little bit yeah 
Um, so I thought that that was good, and I'm, it makes me more excited for the rest of the season going forward. And yeah, kind of what we've been, we've been saying, like this episode made me think, it made me feel, it made me tear up a little bit, it made me laugh. Like it kind of, it was a good episode, and I don't, I don't know. I could just, I, it's impossible for me to rank something as like a one or a ten. So I'm gonna give it my highest rating, which is a nine. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a great episode. I loved the writing. I thought the characters were great. The plot was great. Um, like Kelsey pointed out, the you know fact that they really gave all of the clues to the mystery in the first one, but then it actually came together in a really interesting and awesome way in this one um, was really great. I thought that you know the acting was good. I think that everyone really did a great job. All of the scenes were very powerful, and uh, I'm going to give this one a 10. Nice. Um, this wraps everything up so well. Stephen Moffat, of course, wrote this two-part epic. It won the Hugo <laughs> Award for a reason. Um, and I think that it's quite obvious to a lot of Doctor Who fans that this is or it's a good reason as to why this usually ranks in the top five stories of all time. Um, with that said... I, I thought the direction, again, was really well done. The whole sequence where the Doctor, um, Jack, and Rose go into the uh, Jamie's room where uh, and, and then realize, oh, my gosh, okay, the tape stopped, and here we still hear the kid here. Oh, my goodness. That was so well done um, for the time. Um, and I just... There's just so many of those gem moments where it was either really funny or really scary or really perfect. And, of course, the ending where the doctor says, just this once, Rose, everybody lives. And that just – that inspired a lot of Doctor Who fans to just join in and just take this series and go, okay, now we're getting serious. Now this is where we want to go with this, with, with this series. Um, really well done. Um, I can't give it any less than a 10 um, because I just can't find fault in this particular episode. So that's my take. Thank you for listening, everybody. You've been listening to the Hoovian Review. You can find us on Facebook, of course, if you haven't already. And uh, you can always write us, uh, give us a message there. Or you can send us an email at thehoovianreview at gmail.com. Have a good night, everyone. See you next week. Y'all come back now. <laughs> <laughs>